You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages David Burnham presented on The Will of God at MBI Spiritual Emphasis Week 1976. David Burnham was a senior pastor for 30 years and was a pastor and teacher with RBC Ministries on their television and radio programs. Now, here is David Burnham on Today in the Word radio. To open the Word of God and to share in the principles of that Word is a privilege, a high adventure, ordained by God that man can be a part of it. May the 14th, 1934, a relief administrator at 4 o'clock in the morning determined that he would run in the Democratic primary election of his state for the office of senator. At 4 o'clock in the morning, he wrote these words, I am about to make the most momentous announcement of my life. I have come to the place where all men strive to be at my age. Now I am a candidate for the United States Senate. If the Almighty God decides I go there, I'm going to pray as King Solomon did for the wisdom to do the job. Four o'clock in the morning, May the 14th, 1934, a relief administrator running in the Democratic primary election. His name, Harry Truman. He became President of the United States. In the Council and the plan of God, he was raised up as a President of the United States of America. Late in 1938, early 1939, a group of scientists had been working together to see if it would be possible to split the atom. Einstein had observed that the body in motion has a greater mass than the body at rest, the difference being defined by the velocity of light. Real neutrons were splitting now, real nuclei. And they were asking the question, would it be possible to develop an explosive device? A scientist by the name of Hahn posted his report on the splitting of the atom on December the 22nd, 1938. He felt that somehow he must be wrong. After the manuscript had been mailed, the whole thing seemed so improbable to me that I wished I could get the document back out of the mailbox. But the other readers were fascinated. They were amazed. The Nazi machine was greatly interested. But scientists throughout the world were concerned what would happen if that information of splitting the atom could be harnessed into an explosive device. Einstein himself told William Lawrence of the New York Times that fission could not produce an explosion. Bohr, arguing with a colleague, ticked off ten persuasive reasons why a device could never be built. And Hahn himself said, that would surely be contrary to God's will. 1938-1939. The atomic bomb was built, it was dropped, it was exploded, and we live in a nuclear age. And yet the scientists who were developing it, one man said it would be contrary to God's will. What in the world is God's will? If a man is running for office, does the will of God include political officials, presidents? Does the will of God include scientific investigation? Is it contrary to the will of God to have explosive devices? Is it contrary to the will of God in the selection of a partner for our life? I really appreciate the audiovisual department helping me to just share with you some of the material that we have already covered on the will of God and to give to you an outline of 
this triangle. I'd like to go over there and share that with you. I ask you to... I hear you up there, God. (laughs) We talked about God's will. We talked about fiction or fantasy. We talked about feeling and fatalism. And then we talked about the fact of God's Word. We talked that God has given to us a fact. Now, Ann Lander said, don't give to me the Bible. When a man wrote and said that I am gay and I am not able to change and I asked God to take control of my life and then God brought into my life, he said, a beautiful homosexual relationship. Is that possibly the will of God? It cannot be the will of God unless the will of God is a feeling, if the will of God is an impression, if the will of God is a fantasy, if it's only an accident of our time. We must open the Word of God. The Word of God gives us insight into the revealed character of God. What is the will of God? It is that which takes place by the plan of God, the plan of God which occurs. Now from that outline, I ask you to notice this, that within that plan of God, it is the plan of God that occurs, but it is described as this, the will of God is described in a way as being acceptable and non-acceptable. And I ask you to draw a triangle. In the midst of that triangle, draw a large black line. And within that black line, above would represent the acceptable will of God. That which is below is the non-acceptable will of God. For you recall we saw that all things are under His counsel. All things are under his counsel, Ephesians 1, chapter 11. And then we saw that the will of God is described in Romans chapter 12 as being that which is good, that which is acceptable, and that which is perfect. The will of God is good. God designed that man would know fulfillment of life. It was not good for man to be alone. God had created man for relationship. He had created him for relationship with himself. And God said, it is good, it is good, it is good. What pleases God? That which also is acceptable to God. That which is excellent. That which meets the demands of the character of God. That which is perfect. That which is mature. Now all things consist by his counsel, by the plan of God. Do not make the mistake of separating sacred and secular. God controls history. He controls the discovery of the atom bomb. He he controls the description of our love life. He He controls the entire direction of political nations and government. Within the acceptable will of God, good, excellent, and that which is perfect. Now, there is that which is not good. There is that which is not acceptable. There is that which is not mature. That is the non-acceptable will of God. Rather than use the phrase perfect will of God, or even use the phrase the permissive will of God, I really have difficulty with the permissive will of God as if somehow there is a shade to the will of God. We are either good or evil. We are either right or we are wrong. There are no shades to the will of God. We are either doing that which is good, excellent, and maturing, or we're doing that which is not good, not excellent, not maturing. Now, we may find ourselves closer to this line. You say, well, wait a moment. If I'm, if I'm sinning, I'm out of the will of God. When Adam was created, Adam was in the will of God. Adam and Eve had fellowship with God. It was good, it was acceptable, it was maturing. It was that for which God had developed and given them in creation. But when Adam sinned, when Adam sinned, that was not acceptable to God. Now, God didn't lop him off the universe. Adam continued to live. When Cain brought his sacrifice, it was not acceptable to God. It was non-acceptable. But Cain was not driven out into the universe as an ash or a cinder. Cain continued to live. The non-acceptable will of God doesn't mean that you have lost yourself in space. You are outside of that which is good. 
Now, the Word of God teaches us that there is none righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none that doeth what? Good. There is none that seeketh after God. All of our good works, all of our deeds of right are what? Are as filthy rags compared to the standard of God. Man by himself cannot become acceptable to God. He must have a new birth. He must be born again. He must recognize that by the blood of Christ, he's redeemed and made a new creation. And when I accept Christ, I become accepted. I am be mercied in the beloved. He bestows his grace upon me and I am accepted in the beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Until that time, all of society, all of mankind is not acceptable to the standards of God. Now, any society that brings itself close to those standards, even if it be a godless society, any society that emulates those standards that are good, acceptable, and pleasing to God, discovers in its society a tranquility, a peace, and a blessing. A communist nation with an atheistic dogma can actually have safer streets than what we do in America with In God We Trust on our coins because many of them teach the consequences of disobeying the law. And when you teach just desert and the consequences of disobeying the law, then you have a society that has safer streets than what we have. Those principles are here. However, no man, no society can become acceptable to God outside of the provision of Jesus Christ. Now within that outline, I also wanted us to know that God has something else for us. In the top part of that outline, we see the acceptable will of God, and I divide it into three parts. Within that division, first of all, the tremendous potential of being accepted in the beloved. Be mercied in the beloved. God's plan for your life and mine is not that we should perish. God's desire is that all men come to salvation. But when we receive Christ as our Savior, you know something about the will of God that will never change. You are accepted in the Beloved, and you are in the will of God for all eternity. When you by faith have received Christ as your Savior, you are be mercied in the Beloved. God then gives to us lifetime decisions, unique opportunities, and a demand for a daily walk. Now, the broadest part of that triangle is the daily walk. The Word of God wants us to live the will of God. We are to be equipped to live the Word of God. That's the emphasis of the will of God. Not that it become head knowledge, but that it become life knowledge, a living knowledge. Out of our daily obedience, Ephesians chapter 5, it said if you know the will of God, you are to walk circumspectly. You're to wake up and die right. Don't be walking along, tripping, falling all the time. We are to walk. We are to sing. We're to be filled with the Spirit of God. There's to be an adventure in our life. Now that God gives us in our daily walk. Out of that daily walk, He uniquely brings into our life opportunities. Opportunities of a ministry, opportunities of people, opportunities of our time. It's based on the character of our daily walk. And from our opportunities, we create lifetime testimonies. Lifetime testimonies. Now, if you break a lifetime testimony, if God has given to you a standard of purity, and you break that standard of purity, you have broken a lifetime testimony that can never be changed in the sense of going back and recovering that. But what happens when a lifetime testimony is broken? You know what most people want? They want immediately another lifetime testimony. And God's process of building lifetime testimonies is in the daily walk. And whenever in our life we break a lifetime testimony, he'll require that we go back into that daily obedience that breaking of that testimony sends us into the non-acceptable, confessing that sin, forsaking that sin. We are brought into a daily obedience, again the opportunities, again the lifetime testimony. 
I am saying by that process that there are experiences that happen I cannot recapture, but don't think your life is finished. It's too soon to quit thinking you're out of God's will. You'll never know God's will. God will never use you. It's a lie. That's a lie from Satan to discourage you. And many of you right now are considering not going to the ministry, not going to the mission field. Don't let God and his promise of his adventure, don't let that promise be perverted by Satan who accuses you that you failed in your life and you were out of the will of God and he can never use you again. You may have done that which was not acceptable by God's grace. Confess that sin before the Lord. Forsake that sin and claim his power to walk and know the restoration that you'll continue to build lifetime testimonies for your life. From the Word of God, we then ask the question, is it possible that I could know that will of God? Is it possible that in my life I would be able to know that plan in my heart? And we come to this part, can I know the will of God? There is that which is acceptable, not acceptable. God desires to reveal His will, and God has a demand for knowing His will. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But God desires to reveal himself to us. Now, in the will of God, there is the decreed will of God. And primarily, that is a secret. Is there any man that is able to know the mind of God? That's what Paul writes. Is there anyone who is omniscient enough that he can search out the mind of God? No, he cannot. It's beyond finding out. Man cannot know God's mind. But we can know as we look to the past that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We know that all things consist by his will. So we can look at history and know that God is in control. We also can know that our destiny is also assured. That accepted in the beloved, we know that he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now between that destiny and my description of the past, God emphasizes that I am to know today what is acceptable, what is good, and what is pleasing to him. When he wrote those words concerning that acceptable and pleasing will of God, he wrote this concerning our own lives. Ephesians 1 verse 11, when it said that according to the counsel of his will, God has decreed that we can not know except the past anything about his program because he is omniscient except for what he chooses to reveal. Now God desires to reveal his will. Ephesians 5 verse 17. Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of God is. Now in Ephesians 1, he has spoken about the mystery of the will of God. Romans, he speaks about the unsearchable mind of God. But he says we are to know the will of God. That must be God's revealed will concerning that which is good, acceptable, and maturing. I like the way that Phillips translates this. It says, live life then with a due sense of responsibility, not as men and women who do not know the meaning and purpose of life, but as those who do. Make best use of your time, despite all the difficulties of these days. Don't be vague, but firmly grasp what you know to be the will of God. Colossians 1.9, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 4.12, that you might stand perfect and complete, mature in the will of God. 1 John 2.17, 
and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In the Old Testament, the same cry, Psalm 27, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me. Lead me in a right path. Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. Isaiah 58, verse 11, The Lord will guide thee continuously. Then James 1, verse 5, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. Now I've read those verses because I believe God wants us to know his plan that is good, acceptable, and pleasing for our lives today. It is not some mystery because we discover that that mystery has been made known in Jesus Christ. That mystery that is now made known in Christ is able to be found in a fulfilling companionship and confrontation with the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, notice these words of God's demand for knowing his will. I beg you, I beseech you, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a worshipful, living sacrifice. That primarily speaks about a presentation it speaks about that commitment of life to God. Now he is writing to Christians. He is writing to a group of believers. The principle of sin, the righteousness of God revealed in the principle of sin and salvation and sanctification have already been covered in the book of Romans. Now he is saying, I want you to know who you are. Know who you are. I want you to yield yourself decisively once for all. I want you to reckon, count it to be so, so that your life can become a daily obedience. Set that goal in your life. May God give you by yielding your life a strategy. May you know that as you reckon it to be so, that you're able to have definite aims in your life. And that you can obey, you can actually live the Word of God. Here he said, present yourselves decisively. That is referring to a time of surrender. The will of God demands that we're committed to it. You've got to be committed to it. You know, I meet people various times. They used to say, how do you learn to play certain uh, things in football? Do you ever watch fellas play football? I watched some of you in the dorm last night watching the pro game, and you watch some of those uh, collisions take place. I mean, they're coming 60 miles an hour at each other, and bang, they hit, and you wonder, how in the world they don't get killed? Well, some of them do get killed. But you know, there's an amazing thing. They'll tell you, in running with a ball, or in tackling somebody, that it is primarily 80% desire and 20% technique. 80% desire. Have you ever watched someone as they're coming at you? I used to run with a ball and you'd have fellas come at you and some guys, they foam at the mouth, you know, there's their steam coming out of their ears. We had one fellow, we called him Mortarhead. He didn't even have a neck. It was just cement stuck right on his shoulders. And I mean, here I was, a little old skinny back running down the sideline. And when you're on the sideline, that's a dangerous place to be. You know that one step over, you're out of bounds and they won't hurt you. But there may be 20,000 people up there that know that you're chicken if you do step out of bounds. So here he comes right at you, and you've got to meet them. Now, if you want to really get hurt, the thing to do is to watch him come and stop and try to cover up. He'll knock your head off. It hurts when you do that. The only way not to get hurt is that as you see him coming at you, you must hit him as hard as he hits you right. You think that hurts? It really doesn't. You don't feel anything for three or four weeks. <laughs> he said you've got to be committed. You've got to present once for all. Then he said within that same concept, and be not conformed to this world. 
the demand of knowing the will of God is that I am committed to God. I'm committed to his word. I don't care what the times say. I'm not conforming myself to the mold of today. I'm really not dependent on the latest philosophy. That's why as you're here at the Bible Institute, you're learning the word of God. It's able to equip the man of God so that he can live life and the woman of God so that she lives it effectively. I just get so thrilled in the joy of teaching the Word of God. You can do it for your lifetime and you never, you never outuse the Word of God. It's still there. It's still valuable. And you don't have to conform to the latest in. Do you know that every course that I took in college in history, every course that I took in a graduate program, when I went back into a, uh, a doctoral program in that, do you know that I couldn't read one history book that I formerly had? Revisionistic history had changed everything that I had studied. Revisionistic history. It had changed even the recording of history. And I came out of those classes so grateful that I had a God who says, I change not. I change not. Anchor yourself to the Word of God. Don't be conformed to the mold of this world. The will of God is that will that is conformed to the character of God. And the last thing he said here, was be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means God gives us spiritual insight. He equips each of us to have insight into our lives. Now I train my son and I work in the church to train our people to learn the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. In this great proverb chapter 1, we learn something of God's demand for teaching us a pattern of life. Proverbs chapter 1. Turn there. Most of you are familiar with it, but notice what it says concerning verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The very reference of my life is that wisdom has its source in my response, my respect to God. The reference of my life is God himself. The reference that I desire to know is God himself. Then in chapter Two of Proverbs, we're used to hearing the testimony that is given, but it says this, My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifteth up thy voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For God giveth wisdom. God giveth wisdom. Then chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That's that relationship of commitment. God is the reference for my life. Trusting in the Lord provides the relationship. Lean not to thine own understanding. My reliance is not upon my insight. It's upon the insight God gives to me. And in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That means I have respect for God in every aspect of my life. Once I come to that concept, of what the will of God is and the demand that God gives me, then I'm able to have some insight concerning the will of God. Now here are some of the things that we have covered. The will of God is definitely personal. God's plan is something he wants you to know. He wants us to be able to walk with understanding. It is a personal, understandable plan. Now God has a plan for the nations. God has a plan for Israel, but God also has a personal plan for your life. That's why he says he wants us to know, he wants you to know that you might be complete and mature and that you might know what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. God also is going to emphasize through his word that it's about this present tense, not our past, not our destiny, that's secure in Christ. The things that have occurred are according to the counsel of God. But God is working in our daily life, in our daily walk. Abraham walked by faith, not knowing 
where he was going. That doesn't mean you don't set goals in your life. But it does mean that within this time of society, I'm not spending all of my time thinking, what will I be doing 10 years from now? That nearly wiped me out in the ministry. I continually was making a 10-year leap of where I would be for God and failing to see my present responsibility. Now, the Word of God requires us to do planning, The Word of God is not against setting goals in our life that would please Him. But I couldn't see the job that I had because I was confident that it had to be something out there. But it was always that unknown X. You see, I never intended to be a pastor. When God called me to preach and I was aware in my life that I had a desire to please Him and I wanted to speak and to share that message, I never intended to be a pastor I always felt that I would be somewhere in evangelism. I would be out traveling the world. And I continually was looking to see where I would be five, ten years down the line. And I was ruining the ministry that I had in a local church because I wasn't serving the people there. I was continually looking for the opportunity, the right contact, the right person, the right break to think I'll be out there. Make sure you realize that in the will of God, he begins with a daily walk. He begins in a daily walk that we be a faithful servant right where we are. Do you know even the apostle Paul kept saying, if the Lord wills? Now why didn't God give him a prediction? God had said, Paul, you're going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. That gave him purpose in life. That gave him goals in life. The apostle Paul made plans, but Paul continually said, if the Lord wills. Why? Except for one time when God turned him around and sent him in a different direction, the apostle Paul had to live in the present tense. And that's where we have to live, in the present tense. Then it's also very important that in that present tense, we learn the difference between principle and precepts as compared to particulars. I don't know of anything that's more important in our day-to-day in the sense of teaching absolutes than to know the difference between principle, precept, and particular. A principle is a general instruction of God concerning the character and the program of God that never changes. A precept is a specific detail of that plan or program that brings honor to God and it does not change in the character of God. But a particular is a cultural demand that we be an effective witness in the present time in which we live. Now, I know that sounds heavy, and I'll move off of the heaviness into something practical, but get that foundation. A principle, general instruction. A precept, a specific instruction. Both represent the character of God, and they are timeless in the character of God. But a particular refers to an event, it refers to an appearance, it refers to an activity in relationship to our culture and time so that we demonstrate the character of God effectively today in the present tense. Now the reason that I emphasize that so much is I'm standing here this morning, I have on a blue shirt. Ten years ago, I read a message by a man who was thundering out the word of God that anybody who wore a blue shirt in the pulpit was a liberal. And it is amazing how we have taken items and we have made them principles of the will of God and they have nothing to do with the general permanent will of God. They may be very effective to the particular time in which we live, but they're not a principle. Learn principles. Learn principles. Don't ignore the precepts. When God gives a principle that the body is designed to honor and glorify God, there'll be precepts then concerning our purity. There'll be precepts concerning our appetites. 
There'll be precepts that are stated concerning our labor. But God has ordained that the body is to glorify God, that it's not for fornication. Principle. Therefore, regardless of the times that we live in, the standards of the world never become our principles. They never become our precepts. Regardless of our times, God has ordained by principle that man on this earth until Christ comes shall work by the sweat of his brow to provide for his needs. He's commanded certain things about that. And in particular, he may have given certain work responsibilities. Some say today, you don't need to work. There were those in the day of Paul said, the Lord's coming soon, let's not work. How could that be the will of God? God had ordained by principle work. God had ordained purity of body. If you want to know the will of God, learn principle, precept, as opposed to particular. Now let me just say this also. We have made some of the worst mistakes in our times of preaching to the secular world principles that they knew were nothing more than particulars, such as the color of our shirt, or the length of our hair, or sometimes even the length of our skirts. Now I believe there's a principle of modesty. I believe there's a principle that men are not to appear as women, or vice versa. That's principle. But don't make the mistake of thinking that if the hair is slightly over the top of your ear that you're a liberal and you don't love God and you're out of God's will. That has nothing to do with principle or precept. That's a particular. You say, well, wait a moment. Then I'm going to let my hair grow over my ear and I'm going to grow a beard because I want to do that. And I see Dwight L. Moody's picture's got a beard on out there. And they say, here, I'm not allowed to have one. Wait a moment. Did you understand the purpose of a particular? The particular is that which we determine to be effective in the culture of the present time. Quit arguing about the pledge. This school has a right to say you've got to wear white t-shirts with red stripes. They have a right to do that. And if that's the requirement and you want to come here, then by the grace of God, don't argue about it. Do it. And it pleases God. I didn't... Where we develop the problem is when we then come along and say those who wear white t-shirts with red stripes, they're the spiritual leaders. Be careful. We simply choose to wear a white t-shirt with red stripes because we want to be effective in coordination and direction. We may choose to rule off blue shirts. In our Sunday morning service, I make all of our men wear white t-shirts, white, shirt, white t-shirts, white shirts. <laughs> White shirts and a dark blue suit. I like that appearance on Sunday morning. But that has nothing to do with principle of the Word of God. It's a particular to make us effective in our community for the witness of Christ. Learn the difference between principle and precept as compared to a particular. Don't ignore the particular. It's vital that we be effective in the times in which we live. Learn the difference between them. Last of all, within that insight, the will of God is then provable. It's livable. And the Apostle Paul said that ye might prove that which is good and acceptable. In Ephesians 5, verse 10, proving what is the acceptable will of God. Proving. Put it to the test. It works itself out in our life. Now I'm going to cover five areas about this proving and these principles and insight into the will of God. I believe that the will of God affects and gives to us a lifetime potential, a fulfilling marriage, meaningful family life, an effective Christian service, and a purposeful vocation. Now there's an outline in Ephesians 5 through the end of chapter 6 that covers that. I hope you can get that before tomorrow. If not, I'll let, it, I'll let you see it. But that is outlined in Ephesians 5 and 6. That the will of God is to prove itself, live itself out, so that we have a fulfilling life. A life 
that meets its potential that God created us for. That it gives to us a meaningful, a fulfilling marriage, a meaningful family life, an effective Christian service, and purposeful vocation. Now tomorrow we're going to talk about choosing a life's partner and how to know God's will in the mate for your life. It's in the Word of God. The principles are there. One thing that's very clear, God doesn't want you to marry an ugly person. And I can prove it tomorrow. You say, well, I'll break up tonight. Well, wait a moment. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> I'm amazed. I saw my daughter come in, and she's away at school, and it's the first time I've seen her now since fall. You know, when I wanted to choose the mate for my life, I didn't want my parents telling me which one to choose. I couldn't believe it. My mother chose girls I wouldn't have gone to a Halloween party with. <laughs> she meant well. But you know, there comes that time in your life there's got to be someone you choose with some principle and some precepts. And in particular, in the time in which you live, she should be beautiful. Let me talk now, though, about lifetime. Here we've come. The will of God is personal. It's about right now what God desires in this present time, right now while I'm alive, right now in 1976, right now God wants to aid me so that I can learn principles and precepts and learn how to even be effective in my culture with particulars so that I can prove the will of God. In your lifetime potential, whether you ever marry, whether you remain single all of your life, learn your lifetime potential. First of all, you are, fear, you are physically, fearfully, wonderfully, skillfully made. It is good to be a human being. It is great to be a man. It is great to be a woman. We have so confused the issue that we as Christians think, what a sad creature I am. I am sad because of my rebellion against God. God thought I was worth so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world to redeem me. You say, I'm not much of a person. Oh, yes, you are. You are unique in God's plan. You are not to compare yourself to the world's standards of value. God said you are fearfully, wonderfully, skillfully made. God has given to you a body. And he says, don't you know that that body has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Therefore glorify God in that body. You're of value. Edric McKidrick, in writing of Abe Andrew Johnson, has a chapter entitled, Mr. Inside and Mr. Outside. Andrew Johnson became president following the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And McKidrick carefully shows that Andrew Johnson always was an outsider, and Abraham Lincoln was an insider. Now, both men had very humble beginnings. Both men were not educated formally. Both had to learn to read. Andrew Johnson was taught to read by his wife. Andrew Johnson became quite wealthy, very successful in Tennessee. When he came to the Congress, he was known as the best-dressed man in Congress. And Andrew Johnson had learned to read, had received a status in life. He had a lot of money. But when he became president, he continually acted as an outsider. He never felt a part of the party. He never really knew what was happening inside of Washington. He was always described as Mr. Outside. Abraham Lincoln had the same humble beginnings, never became wealthy. Abraham Lincoln didn't know how to dress very well. But Abraham Lincoln knew who he was. He so knew who he was and he knew what he wanted for this nation. He was against the nation being divided. And he burned his life into pleading for an indivisible nation. Your life and mine... It's not always going to be our station and our appearances, but it's a question that you know who you are on the inside, that you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, 
that you're so valuable that God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Don't you know that we're to keep our bodies under subjection? We're to bring it into control so that we don't beat the air and fight as one who doesn't know where he's going. God has ordained that our life have physical direction. Intellectually, Proverbs 1 and 2, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that spiritual insight that is given to us who know the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. I've sat in graduate courses and so have you. Many of you have known people with great degrees and great research abilities. They can even quote the Bible line by line, but they are spiritually ignorant. They don't understand the counsel of God. They don't understand the ways of God. They look at the contradictions. They look at the mockery because they don't have spiritual insight. But Paul said, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. You can know, and you're intellectually equipped. That doesn't mean you don't go on and get your degrees, but remember the source of that knowledge. And then emotionally, he's equipped us to loving. And 1 John 4 says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that we might love him. God has equipped us in maturity, not by a crisis experience. That's the big, the big thing today. Have some crisis experience, and you'll be a mature Christian. Maturity is never a crisis. It's always a growth process. It's a growth physically. It's a growth intellectually. It's a growth emotionally. It's a growth socially. And in that growth process, God has given to us a love that has been shed abroad in our hearts by Jesus Christ. That love that in 1 Corinthians 13 says that it's patient and kind. That love is Christ. That love is Christ in us. And that love says that you and I can be patient and kind. We can be social. We can know relationship. God designed us for relationship. God said it through the Apostle Paul in Acts 17 that every living thing on this earth has its being, its existence in him. From that potential, there's a clear illustration, and I have two minutes to give to you a lifetime illustration. But you know, when you teach the Word of God, I can teach these facts, but I can show you these facts by a lifetime illustration in the Word of God. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Notice where we've come from. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. What does that mean? The counsel of God. Jehoiakim, given into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. He had been fighting in the battle of Carchemish in 605 B.C. The Assyrian might was broken. He now comes back through the land of Judah. He takes tribute. He takes the vessels of gold out of the temple. He takes captives with him. Those captives included men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Names we're familiar with. When we look at Daniel, it describes one who had a beautiful appearance, ability of mind, potential for government. That's all that this young man had. He was brought to the king's palace. When he came to Babylon, he came to what the ancient maps showed to be the center of the universe. Those great walls, 11 miles long, 80-some feet wide, two chariots could race across them. With its tremendous hanging gardens and its ziggurats, he goes through one of those eight gates, the gate of Ishtar, the procession of the way. Everywhere he looked, the bull and the dragons, the sidewalks paved with the beveled edge with the inscription of Nebuchadnezzar dedicated to Marduk. Everywhere about him, paganism, polytheism. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. He went into that community. He went into that world, not defeated by his times, but confident, confident that the will of God would be observed in his life. We'll begin there tomorrow. But I sat one day as you sat right now, 
And I heard the announcement that five young men died in the jungles of South America. When I heard they died, the speaker said, where are the five to take their place? And our auditorium was silent. When I nearly left the ministry, the father of Jim Elliott gave me a book to read of his son. And he underlined this passage that his son wrote to his parents. Dear Mom and Dad, Mr. and Mrs. have a nice home and belongings and two cute kitties, but they're so like the rest of us that it's disheartening. We are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace. We profess to know a power the 20th century does not reckon with, but we are harmless, therefore unharmed. We are spiritual pacifists. Meekness must be had for contact with men, but brass outspoken boldness is required to take part in the comradeship of the cross. Oh, we're sideliners, coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while content to sit by and let the enemies of God go unchallenged. The world cannot hate us. We are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. Our Father, make us dangerous as we walk into our world dedicated to the gods of self. God, Make us dangerous so that men will know that you are the God of creation, the God of salvation, the God of history, but the God who personally can be our Savior through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message David Burnham presented on the will of God at MBI Spiritual Emphasis Week in 1976. David Burnham was a senior pastor for 30 years and was a pastor and teacher with RBC Ministries on their television and radio programs. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.